And did you know that this podcast is an independent production? That's right. The Eric Norcross podcast is an indie podcast. And because of that, we depend on listeners like you to help support the show. The best way to become a supporter is to become a patron. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. That's patreon.com slash Eric Norcross. Again, patreon.com slash Eric Norcross, and the link will be in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. All right, I have one more announcement before I go into the episode. I know these can be super annoying, but this is not a paid advertisement. This is actually about one of my projects. I made a feature film called Fractals, and guess what? It is now available for streaming. Just visit my website, ericnorcross.com. Look for the movie Fractals, and there will be a list of platforms where you can stream it. Thanks. Hi, can, Eric. How's it going? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Cool. How are you doing? Good. How's it going? Good. Um, thanks for doing my podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for um, inviting me. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm doing these episodes with everybody from Fractals because um, it just makes sense. And uh, also, you know, I've never really, all the films I've done over the years, I've never really had a chance after the fact to just kind of talk to everybody and hear sort of their experiences on these projects. And there's been a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I'm going to have a creativity podcast, it makes sense that that would be some component of it, like reflecting on not the not my work through my eyes, but working on my work through the eyes of somebody else. And so yeah. that's kind of kind of what this is about but at the same time to introduce listeners to you and what you're Does it about work with the zoom is it okay for your audio yeah sounds okay good. Good. i i realize i really don't know anything about you so let's start with um who you are how you got into acting uh take over <laughs> okay um <laughs> i feel like I really only began acting probably my second year of college. I did like a little bit in high school and a little bit of my freshman year. I was in Berlin for my freshman year and we did, like I studied a lot of theater, but I had never really acted myself because I'm not a very like extroverted person. So I kind of just assumed it wasn't for me, especially in, I don't know if you've done high school theater, but it's very much like, a shouting contest of sorts. Um, But in Berlin, I don't know, they're a lot more soft-spoken, which was really interesting. So it's a lot more of like the emphasis is on the writing, which is what I love about like theater and film in general and about acting is just like working with language that I love. And the, yeah, so I, I think I kind of fell in love with the German theater. It's very like explicit and it's very funny. It's very crude. Um, so, yeah. And then when I got to the Bard campus, because I was in Bard Berlin, and then I got to the American campus, and I kind of just, like, did it. I didn't know what to major in, really. I was thinking, like, written arts, but it seemed kind of isolating. Um, so then I went for 
for theater, kind of just to try it out. I wanted to do as much of it as possible and kind of see if I failed, but I haven't failed yet. So I think I'm, I'm still like, I don't know. I just, I realized that it's not what I'm best at, but it's what I love doing the most. So yeah. Yeah. Still- I feel the same way about filmmaking. Like I'm pretty sure I'm not that good at it, but I don't <laughs> want to stop doing it. And, yeah. Uh, that's the honest truth. And, you know, you know, I think you're good at it though. And, Jan was saying yesterday that um, she couldn't tell when you were acting or not, like because the readings of my really shoddy, preachy dialogue came off so natural. <laughs> and uh, I, I, that's kind of what I vaguely remember too. Is when we were shooting, I'm like, "Is she saying my script?" She, and Jan was like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "Oh, it just sounds like that's her opinion." <laughs> I mean, it was a very, like, comfortable set, which is what I loved. And it's also, like, working with Tim, I feel like we could make our dialogue as, as comfortable as possible. But it was also, like, not, I don't know, you're you're very good at making the actors feel like they can take it in their own direction, which yeah. definitely made me feel. Well, that, that comes out of, um, one, when I write, when I write a screenplay, I know I'm going to produce out of pocket. I know I'm mm-hmm. not going to get what I write, like in terms of just production value. I'm, I tend to overthink it if I don't think I'm going to produce it. So like I'll, what, the screenplays I submit to a contest are very, very written and very much if I were to make them, there would be very little room for improvisation. Mm-hmm. But the ones I'm making by myself uh, in my apartment, anything could happen. So it doesn't make sense to be locked down, you know, creatively by the pages. The pages are a guideline. It's a great guideline. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes they're a bad guideline. But um, if somebody's going to come in for pennies on the dollar and give me their time, at least I could say, hey, do really whatever you want as long as we get A to, a to Z. Whatever happens yeah. in between, I really don't care about and that was basically the vibe. And I think that's a good creative vibe for indie filmmakers in general, because it's very easy not to have a good time on these types of productions, as you probably well know. Yeah, I feel like I've had directors where it's like stick to the script exactly, um, but they've never heard the words out loud before. So it's like they can't even acknowledge that it sounds really awkward. Yeah. Yeah, and you know that's uh, that was one thing too, like that I didn't really get to have on this film that I wanted is a read through with everybody mm. because of the pandemic. It didn't make sense to do it, but um, most people won't invest in read throughs, and I think it's really really important. It's like yeah. film production one hundred and one: have a read through, hear your words. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. Uh, I think you're a natural at this. And I've actually heard um, a lot of stories with actors where like they're introverted and they just started acting to, to test themselves. Or uh, I know, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm 100% accurate with this, but I think Jan had been sent to some sort of theater program because she was shy or something. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's helpful. <laughs> it's definitely helpful. <laughs> Though it doesn't make me any better at like public speaking, which is actually interesting. I That's a whole so. different monster. I'm so bad at that. <laughs> I uh, I once walked into a public speaking class at a SUNY school, and 
to kind of say, hey, I'm running this student club called Writers and Speakers Club, and I would like you guys to join if you're interested. And they were all, all for the most part, experienced actors who've been around the block, who were taking a public speaking class because it's like the worst, the thing that they're worse at. And yeah. some of them I recognize. Like one of them, I'm like, hey, were you in that, that movie Rhythm Thief that won Sundance in like 1994? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, I love that movie. <laughs> I like left the class. But like the, 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 these guys, you know, they're really good on camera, but public speaking, it's, it's not the same thing. It's a whole different monster. Yeah, I feel like it's much easier to play a character. What kind of characters do you want to do? Um, I feel like I probably feel more comfortable. I like being comedic relief. Um, or even just, I love like villain characters. So I'd love to play more of those. Conniving? And, hmm? Like Mean Girl conniving? Yeah, I like that. Or just like murderous. I've played like kind of like a lot of a weird amount of like kind of murderous vampire roles hmm. um which is fun i like kind of the over dramatic aspect of that but even just like i don't know just i love doing the the comedic relief parts so far with film i feel like i haven't really done that i i feel like i've been more of like the the serious side to a, a, a comedic character Oh, that's interesting. So, do you are you getting are you just sub submitting, not expecting to get called back for certain things, and then you get called back for them? Yeah, I do feel like with backstage, which is what I mostly apply for. It's like you even see it in like the character description. It's like blonde friend or blonde girlfriend, and those are usually the more either nagging or serious. <laughs> so those are the, typically the ones that I get. <laughs> But with theater, like I, I do like that about stage theater. It's, it it is less like what you look like, and more just like what you can do. Yeah, in your projection. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you what do you prefer? What do you gravitate towards the theater or the film? I used to think it was like mostly because I would love to like work on television, work on film, write for television, and act for it. But like with the pandemic, I feel like I'm really missing stage theater a lot. Because mm. um, I do like how like tangible it is to have a film and be able to look at it and how it's so much more accessible for people. But I don't know. There's something about acting on a stage that's just like the best adrenaline you'll ever have. So I what do you, miss a lot. What's the vibe like uh, in terms of just like the sort of camaraderie between versus film of sort of a film cast versus the stage cast is, is the camaraderie different? Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like in, uh, when you're doing like a play with a bunch of people, you all feel like equals maybe. And that's kind of the difference. Um, and you have to like, all of your energies have to be on the same level in order to, to get something across. I feel like with the film, it's a lot more disconnected. I don't often feel, especially if I'm not in like a scene with another actor, but we're all on set together. I don't feel any kind of camaraderie there. And it's also, I feel very intimidated by the people doing things that I think are a lot more complicated than what I'm doing on set. So when people are like doing all the sound and doing all the, the film stuff, it just 
feel silly to be doing the acting, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I know, I can see that. Self-conscious. <laughs> um, that's interesting. I didn't, I wouldn't have thought that that, that would be the feeling. Um, what what were your thoughts on um, showing up to this thing and not having a crew whatsoever? It is that's really nice. I feel <laughs> very, <laughs> like low pressure, which I feel like makes me act a lot better. Mm. I think, and also just being around just you and Tim or you Tim Jan, it just felt kind of like making something. Um, I don't know, like something you do kind of casually with your friends, and that's always like the best result than that's, something that is a lot stiffer. Yeah, that's the vibe I wanted. I just wanted it to be casual. Um, wh- what were your thoughts when you showed up to the basement with all of the black uh, shards of canvas draped everywhere? I think my first thoughts, I was a little like... From what I had heard from you and Tim, I was wondering, like, the genre now had changed in my mind. I wasn't sure exactly, because it seemed kind of something that would be in, like, a, I don't know, maybe, like, a animated movie. And then also something that would be kind of horror genre. But then it was so naturalistic everything that we were saying and everything that we were doing so I was a little stuck on like the first few I was like how should I be acting now well that's interesting yeah I wasn't in the scenes where like the really surrealist aspects were happening I was just in like the totally natural scenes (laughs) so I was watching Tim with all that and then I was kind of just in his space in the basement which was interesting yeah there wasn't really any like I had a lot of those elements but there wasn't really a lot anybody was doing that was like you know like the whole if you ever see them behind the scenes on star trek or something where they're always doing this and the camera's moving and they're pretending like they're like there was none of that kind of stuff and there wasn't like an overly dramatic way of delivering any of the lines it was just everybody was surrounded by weirdness and not acknowledging it whatsoever (laughs) was it weird to like so for the listeners, because I don't, I'm not very good at giving context to anything. We just start talking. Um, you got onto this through Tim because of the pandemic made it safer to just cast two people who are already close. Um, that way we didn't have to sort of retool many of the scenes. Um, was that weird to just be, okay, yeah, I'm going to be a supporting role in this movie because I'm the girlfriend of the guy that just got cast through backstage? Honestly, that's the way that I like it. I feel like that's how it's <laughs> student theater. It's more like you just ask someone that you know, and you don't have to go through the whole audition process, which if for, for any actor, auditions are just the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Well, I can tell you from where I sit, I, I preferred it as well, because I can't stand auditioning people. They're awful. I it's just, so I dehumanizing. Like, yeah. It does feel like you're cattle for this. And then you're just not acting in a way you would ever actually act. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I don't think I've ever really directed a performance based on what somebody did in an audition. Like sometimes I can get a vibe of somebody, mm-hmm. but at, at a certain point, I started doing a thing where I just kind of meet people for coffee That's somewhere in I- Manhattan, 
And if that's cool with them, then they're the right person. If they're a little weirded out by that, then they're not the right person. Yeah, I feel like a conversation is a lot more effective than someone doing like a cold read. Yeah, because I can also, I also, they're good at directing, at least in my opinion, uh, I'm good at directing um, people who, without experience. So I could find a way to get them to just be natural, even if we're not on page. So, or on book. That's mm-hmm. that's the term you use on book, off book. <laughs> um, I have this impulse to just put sanitizer on me now. Like after a year, I can't stop applying sanitizer randomly. Have you gotten vaccinated? I got the first shot. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Tim works in a preschool, so I think he might get it soon. But I might have to wait. Yeah. I uh, I'm an asthmatic. So that was my ticket. I'd rather not be an asthmatic. <laughs> um, but whatever. <laughs> what? So um, now we can we can talk about this and not talk about this. But I have interested in this. Um, when you when you came into the city to do this film, you were also doing something that wasn't as fun. And I was. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to? talk about that a little bit because yeah I, i'm really into the warning stories uh for people out there well the the scariest thing about this is that i i'd gotten this and it it said that it was like i was excited because it was like a real brand it seemed like it was like an amazon product placement which morally you know i didn't feel great about but you know financially i was like this sounds great it seems was like it a commercial? real yeah it was said that i would be kind of like a model but also an actor like plugging the products and I was like wow this is amazing that I got this um just from kind of applying with a profile and like a cover letter so then I went into the it wasn't actually the city was New Jersey and I was I had gotten there like by like two buses and gotten like a train into the city and then when I got there like I was walking around and there was no like building I was expecting um I went like three times around the block and then I was starting to get really nervous because the address was just like a big shed and it had no like descriptors on the side it wasn't saying like amazon it wasn't saying like casting office or anything like that and i was starting to think this was like a trafficking situation or if i should have brought someone with me like i was like this is actually very scary um but then i went into the shed and it was just a a little office in there and it wasn't actually affiliated with amazon it was like a, a startup company that was trying to to plug Amazon products in order to get something going. And, and so it didn't pay at all, but I still did it anyway. I, I did it for a few weeks where you just, you talk for like a horrible amount of time about an Amazon product that you would never actually buy. Um, and then the scripts are all like, you're reading off a teleprompter about like a toy set or something like that. And it's excruciating because you have to just keep saying things and making up these stories about you using this product. Um, and no one is actually watching it because it's on like Amazon Live, which I don't think people actually go to to view people talking about these products. I've never even heard of it. Yeah, so it's yeah. just really tiring for like a no amount of money situation. Yeah. So you'll never do that again, right? I don't think I could. Yeah. I think I need to start picking products where I can you know, financially support myself at some point. Yeah, I think they were, they might have been just like some fourth rate Amazon seller 
Um, I find that yeah. there's a lot of products that are sold on there out of garages or some some obscure address where uh, maybe they're an incorporated company, but they're not really a company. Mm-hmm. I think they uh, were trying to start up like admirable idea, but it was just not really an acting situation. It was just more of a anyone who can talk for hours yeah. long about something they never actually used, which maybe is just like the, the product placement world today. Yeah, it's like infomercial shit. Um, I felt like it. Yeah, and even if it did pay, like those kinds of gigs in, in the actual paying industry don't really pay anything worth a damn. Mm-hmm. Uh. And it's not, I wish it was like a tangible commercial that you could use for something but if it's live and it disappears after you know 30 minutes yeah it's not worth it yeah i uh but you know it's it's live and learn like it took me quite a few years to figure out how to navigate my way around clients that were worth the time and clients that weren't Mm -hmm. and and when to take a cut and when not to it's just, you know, it's part of it. Yeah, it's definitely true. And uh, sometimes I make mistakes when I know better. Like I, I did this, I did this one thing where um, it was in exchange for some hardware that I needed rather than an actual paycheck. And uh, it, it, was a, it was an assumption that I could use it like in my real turns out I couldn't do that because it was a private organization that so it's super weird like it exists in secret almost it's like one of those secret like New York high life it was almost like a private museum in a way. yeah it was super weird like like a Illuminati type of shit like where like a huge percentage of their um their ex sort of members were like presidents at one point, like they all became presidents. What were you doing for them? Were you filming? It's just like making a video because um, they could, nobody wanted to come in from Connecticut or wherever it is they were living to visit the museum gallery, but the gallery was still obligated to sort of create new displays of art regardless. And so they, had me do like a video that they would send to all their members. Strange. Yeah, it was super weird. <laughs> and they didn't tell you it was in secret, so you couldn't use it. Yeah. And and like, I'm like, can I put up a, a behind the scenes photo? And it was like a big deal. Like, she, the woman who was my correspondent had to go around asking everybody, and they're like, Ooh. okay, just don't tag us or anyone, and maybe blur some of the specific artwork. Because some of these art, some of the artwork was created by members, the members. And mm. Like, so here, here's a lesson in ego, especially with wealthy people. Like, most of them were self-portraits. That's so, <laughs> that's so strange. It is strange. But they have, like, there's, like, three or four of these really elite clubs. They go all the way back to, like, the 19th century. And they all have, they all own and operate Manhattan real estate as a nonprofit, but nobody's allowed in them without invitation. So the clubs are by invite only. 
Um, and it's just, it's an invisible class of people that just, they know not to flaunt. It's super weird. It's very terrifying. Yeah. It exists. Um, I don't know why this woman got a job there. It seems like a horrible crop of people to work for. Yeah, it seems like they could kill you and no one would know. I'm sure there are members that are in that business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I've read stories about actors who um, they would like gr- grudgingly do these really high paying gigs. Um, there was one story I heard where like an actress in L.A. was hired for something that she wasn't allowed to talk about. And it turned out that these guys coming in from, I don't know if it was China or wherever, but some country, and they were these the super wealthy businessmen, and they just wanted to eat sushi off her stomach. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. it's but, stuff like that that makes me very nervous. <laughs> Especially yeah. like models. I've heard that a lot of models... Um, I don't do modeling, but like I, I've done like the commercial type modeling where it's like acting slash modeling, but like the model models have to work. Like it, it seems like trafficking in itself. Yeah. They're just hired to go out with really creepy men or hired for like fetish people to eat really disgusting food in front of them. Yeah. Like that's insane. Yeah. I don't know. That power imbalance is really gross. Yeah. There's a lot of that crap on, um, Model Mayhem, which is not a site that any that I don't consider anybody legit actually being on. Um, but like people a- in New York get gigs through that. It's like Model Mayhem. You like you get you build your profile and put your portfolio up. Um, in a pinch, it's a great place for photographers to find people. But for the most part, there's just not a lot of good legitimate stuff through there. It's all that creep. Well, for the most part, that creepy shit. Yeah, and so many models are so young. That does make me worried. Yeah. Um, in in New York, you'll get a good diversity, but if you it, if you leave, like, the major cities, there are almost always kids who don't know better. Mm. Which is super weird. And by kids, of course. I, I mean people in their early 20s. Yeah. <laughs> That's my age coming through. Um, but I feel like people's modeling jobs, like you're considered like out of modeling when you turn 25. Like, terrifying um, stuff like that. Yeah, or 30 if you have a really good metabolism. Uh, some of yeah. these, some of these women had really good metabolisms. Um, I remember I did a behind-the-scenes video of some penthouse photo shoot. It was a legitimate shoot. Um, some of the crew was unionized, but. Um, the models were like eating burgers backstage. How are you doing that? And then I always like, feel like they were feeding us that lie that models eat burgers, but I guess they do. <laughs> yeah, well, the guy who hired me told me that this company specifically hires models with high metabolisms because they don't they want to avoid people damaging themselves to try and keep their jobs, keep themselves hireable. Okay, but how can you test that? How do you know which model has a high metabolism? I don't know. I guess that they just get to know certain people. I don't know what their process is. I, let, I can't stand that industry. I think it's so superficial. 
It is very worrisome. I, I guess that's good that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, that was an that was a weird like awakening too because I I the way it was pitched to me was oh it's going to be a great set it's it's post apocalyptic theme so like if you imagine like a fashion shoot against post apocalyptic it kind of helps it helps whatever they're selling stand out a little bit um, it wasn't that at all it was a beautiful clearly intact skyline of New York from a penthouse with just shards of cardboard all over the place. And the cardboard represented the damage of post-apocalyptic society. And uh, I don't know. I didn't feel it. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. That was an official shoot. <laughs> insane is, is, is an exact description of the fashion industry in general. Um, but yeah, this was a legit shoot. They had like a famous photographer, like this woman. Uh, I forget her name at this point because I don't really care. But yeah, and she was shooting on like this camera I really wanted. It was like a medium format camera they use for making billboards. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did the shots come out well? Yeah. Even my like footage, and I wasn't even shooting good footage, but just like the way the lighting worked. I guess they knew what they were doing. Yeah, but if it turned out. So you were yeah. shooting behind the scenes? Yeah. Um, that's all I could do at that time because I didn't really have a lot of gear. What did they need that behind the scenes for? So actually the um, the guy that hired me was their set designer. So he was the one who came up with this idea of shredded crap. And I'm gonna, he's going to email me and be like, what the f- what are you ripping on me for, Eric? Um, but um, he wanted it because he thought that he could start. So th- this is an interesting story. I want to. He thought he could start his own YouTube presence by showing what it's like for him behind the scenes of the fashion industry. Um, he's very legit. Been around the block. Um, the thing is, is he doesn't ask for permission for me to be there. So even though he's paying for me to be there, he never thought to ask permission. That time, it was okay. Every other Mm -hmm. time he tried to get me on, I ended up getting booted. And because the producers basically are like, you know, so-and-so, we're not hosting two productions. If you wanted him here, you should have asked. And so I had to stop doing it just because it was starting to get embarrassing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like, it wouldn't have hurt anybody, but at the same time, it, it is kind of like, if you're going to have another crew here, even if it's just a videographer, you should probably run it by somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, for reasons that he might not have even thought, uh, like maybe the talent, it's not in their contract to be in another set of content other than the, the photos. Yeah, it's kind of like how like if you go to Shakespeare in the Park, you can't videotape it because it's not in the talent's contract to be mm-hmm. on film. Um, if somebody were to release a video of a Shakespeare in the Park play, they could actually get in a lot of trouble from the union. Really? Yeah. The actor themselves or the person filming? Uh, the the production company. Oh, okay. So the the production company that runs Shakespeare in the Park has the agreements with 
what I don't know what Actors Union is at Broadway, but all these guys are professional. Um, they know that they're doing a free show in public, but there's a lot of conditions to doing a free show in public. Mm-hmm. It means you can't do anything except put on that show. Yeah, I saw the the Much Ado About Nothing, and in the middle of it, it started raining, and they just kept going, which is crazy. It started like pouring rain. Yeah, they they um, they know that that's part of anything that happened. We kind of uh, <laughs> I think to, to perform in the pouring rain. <laughs> I uh, I saw a version of Hamlet where they integrated the occasional helicopter flyovers. And so whenever there was a helicopter nearby, uh, they would retool it so the lights kind of came on as if there was a helicopter hovering over the characters. Ooh. Yeah, because they can't control air traffic. That's a federal thing. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of make it like a paranoia thing? I don't know. I mean, I thought the whole show was paranoid. I mean, Hamlet in general kind of nuts <laughs> <laughs> they want you to think it was like fbi helicopter and hamlet's yeah. imagination. i mean it was definitely like retooled for like not the original setting that's kind of sick yeah i don't remember the specific setting but it was definitely a setting with where like they had technology of some kind mm. well, yeah, that was the only version of it i saw never saw like a classical hamlet i've always wanted to be hamlet honestly <laughs> Why? I feel like I like the the whiny characters. And he's just got so many great lines and his interactions with all the characters. I feel like it would be a bit much, like, with any Shakespeare character that has a million monologues, like Richard III, for example, it must be so tiring to have to find ways to to make it interesting for the audience. Because at a certain point, you're always, like, hating Hamlet at the end. You're like, I wish he would die now. Well, there was but, a, I mean, I don't know if they're still around. You know, do you know two thirds of the the art industry in New York City is decimated. But if they're still around, it could be a plus for you because there's this company. I don't remember the name of it. I'll have to dig it up. All they do is like Shakespeare content. Really? Yeah, I think I contributed a scene to them once, and so they didn't use it. But like, people will go around the city and perform scenes from various Shakespeare's plays really and videotape awesome. it and then they'll put it on like their youtube channel or their website that could be worth looking at yeah i'd love to look at that um but i don't know if they're still around i hope they are but well i appreciated you being in my movie oh thank you it's, it wasn't shakespeare but it was great thank to- you I, I think we have a shot at getting it somewhere. Yeah. There's not a lot of content was produced this year. Honestly. And also, like, from what I could see when I looked behind the camera, I thought all the shots looked great as well. So. Oh, yeah. And the, the, I just got the visual effects back. Those look pretty good, too. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So I look forward to showing it to you guys. My goal is to show it sometime next year in a private screening somewhere in the city. For all of us to just sit down and enjoy. I would love to be in a movie theater. That's my big dream. To get yeah. back to one. <laughs> Same. I miss it. 
I miss the experience of the lights fading. Yeah, that'd be so fun. I would love that. How's editing going? Editing's going. Well, you know, I started the podcast in September because I didn't want to edit. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, uh, podcast. After shooting in July, I was just like, you know what? I think I'm going to delay it as long as possible. And I've honestly spent more time in post-production on this film than any other project I've ever done. Wow, really? Yeah. It's because I've been dragging my heels on it. Mm-hmm. But it's... So I'm doing it in sequences. The whole film has been assembled. All the effects are done. The first 15 minutes, which is your big scene in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Um, And some straggler scenes that kind of are around that, like the stuff we did downtown. That's locked. And the sound design is done. And I sent it to the music composer to be scored. So she's working on that. And then... this week, I sent the following half hour. So the half hour that comes after that opening sequence, so sequence two, that is now in the hands of the composer and locked. Oh, wow. um, <clears throat> and so I think there'll be like seven sequences all, all around for the whole movie. Um, and so now I'm on the third one. Mm-hmm. But that's that got delayed this week because I had to go back and recolor some of the scenes, but then... So this is where it was complicated because my software updated and then I had to re-enter my registration key and then I lost my registration key. So I had to call up a company in Australia to, and they had to match my camera. So they make my camera as well. So they had to match my camera's uh, registration in order to get the registration key for the software. But now that that was handled last night at like 2 a.m., I can finally finish the third sequence. (laughs) So this is why this is why people should think twice about doing the technical side of all this stuff. Editing is so such a mystery to me. I don't understand it, but it looks very complicated. It used to be fun. um, And I don't think it's fun anymore with with the proliferation of digital cinema. It's not fun anymore when it was just like civilian video. Like right, mm-hmm. just a regular video format, it was fun, but now there's just so much, so much more to it that I don't think it's fun anymore. So I look forward to the day I can just get somebody else to edit my stuff. Yeah, hopefully that'll come soon. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Um, what, what? So before we leave, do you have any projects coming up? Yeah, I do have my. Um senior project for college it's kind of like your piece to show what you learned before you graduated um and it was supposed to be in person it was supposed to be uh 25 minutes from a play we were going to do who's afraid of virginia wolf but it's just it's not happening in person and we can't also have more than two actors that live in the same household so now it's a completely different project but i'm actually very excited about it um since everything kind of got like upturned, it's just something that I was able to write and then have my roommate and then also Tim because he lives here too. So it's kind of just thrown together. And it's a bit of a joke, but I think that's always what is the best because it doesn't take itself seriously at all. Mm. Um, and it's about Peppa Pig. Um, <laughs> so that's what I learned before I graduated, I guess. I love Peppa Pig. 
Nice. Well, that's that's a good takeaway from four years of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a bit of a joke. <laughs> what I learned. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you have a moment, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen. And if the app allows for it, please leave a rating and review. That way, the algorithm moves us up in recommendations. It's a great way for new listeners to find our show. Thanks, and I'll see you on the next episode.